Thanks for tuning in, everybody. On this one, I'm going to be talking with the rest of the guys from THP, and we're going to be telling our best rut stories of all time. Obviously, a lot of whitetail hunters are looking forward to November throughout the whole year, and it usually creates some pretty crazy stories every year. Whether that's from you or your hunting buddies, usually stuff gets pretty wild when bucks start getting with does. So in this episode, I just wanted to tell some of our favorite rut stories from over the years, and a tip that we have for hunting the rut presented by our friends at Vortex is a lot of times bucks will get themselves into unique positions when they're bedded with does and sometimes that puts them in a vulnerable place where you can glass them up. For most of the season bucks are usually hidden, tucked away in the cover where they're pretty hard to see but when they get with does a lot of times they'll put themselves in pretty vulnerable positions where you can glass them up. I've seen bucks bed in open river bottoms. I've seen them bed right up against the road. I've seen them bed in little isolated patches of cover with nothing else around them. And if you spend enough time glassing, whether you're up on a high point or you're in the vehicle cruising around or you're just looking at a clear cut or something like that doing an observation setup, if you cover a lot of ground and glass your way through the timber, there's a really good chance that you're going to pick up on a buck. We use Vortex Optics, and the reason that we like Vortex Optics so much is they have an awesome warranty. If your optics get broken, no matter how it happens, Vortex will either fix the problem or replace the optics that are broken for you. And with a warranty like this, I always think if you buy it once, then you should have it for life as long as you don't lose it because if something happens to it, they're going to help you out. If you guys want to save 10% off of Vortex Optics, you can use the code THP10 on Eurooptic.com. If you check the description of this podcast, there's a link over there, and there's also the code listed down there as well. Also, as you guys probably already know, we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. All you got to do is visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. Also in the description of this podcast, you'll find a link that'll take you over to Go Wild. And on their store, you can also use our code THP to save 10% off of all orders on their store. We also got a bunch of promo codes down there as well. Through the podcast, we can save you money on THP merch, Woodhaven Calls, Onyx Hunt, Trophy Ridge and Bear products, meat game processing equipment, and Exodus Trail cameras. Thanks for tuning in. First, we're going to get Aaron on the line and have him tell his best rut story. Do you want to tell the story of the of that buck buck nest one, or do you want to do a different one? No, hell, that's a pretty good one. I feel like that's probably it's it's the one that I think of when I think of the craziest rut thing that's ever happened to me. What didn't we hadn't we been hunting like all day for three or four days, and we were like just worn slap out pretty well at yeah. that point. Yeah, and and we we must have done like a little reset that morning or something because i'm pretty sure we rolled out there in jeans and not our hunting clothes even like we were just starting the day i think we got there at like 9 30 and sometimes we'll do that if we're hunting you know in november and we've hunted four or five days all day long we'll get in for a morning for a few hours and get up after the sun comes up eat a good breakfast or whatever and then get out there mid-morning and i think I think we hadn't been having much luck in the areas that we were hunting, uh, so we just bounced over there just to go into a new spot, drove down the road. There was no truck parked there, and we started getting out of the Smurf, and 
I don't we we were just like getting stuff ready at the car. Yeah. And looked out the window or not out the window, just looked up in front of the car and like heard just deer running like crazy. And there was I don't even remember how many bucks there was initially. There was at least two or three. I think there was three like initially. Big, big bucks. One of them was real big. I feel like it's one of those deals where it's it's the classic rut example of we're just like so loose. We're not ready at all. We're goofing off. Right. Like we're just and like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, dude, right here. Yeah, I mean we were literally leaning behind the Smurf and looking through the window, like <laughs> trying to watch these things. They started cutting across that field. I think it was on November 9th because we killed that buck the next day in there on the tenth, if I remember correctly. I think that was. I think it was the eleventh, wasn't it? Oh, okay. You might be right. I don't. I don't remember. It's been a few years, but it was either the tenth and the eleventh, or the ninth and the tenth. Tenth and the eleventh sounds right. Yeah, I think um, it was. But we saw those bucks, and then immediately it was like game on. So we just grabbed our like some rattling antlers and bow and camera, and I don't know. We made it maybe fifty yards from the car. Oh yeah, barely, barely anywhere. Looked across there where that doe had went. And there's a huge buck coming off the hill, like 500 yards away. We can see him through the timber, like just this giant rack. And the thing comes off the hill, coming across that field towards us. So all in a matter of like 10 minutes after arriving at this parking area, we see four, five different bucks. Two of them are just absolute monsters. If I remember right, that eight-pointer, it was an eight-pointer that came across the field after the initial chase, like the after the initial insanity. And that is like probably to this day, like one of, one of if not the biggest frame deer I've ever seen in my life. It was an eight-pointer that like, I mean, would probably be pushing Boone and Crockett. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That thing was honestly one of the yeah, freakiest Yeah, my uncle killed deer. that eight-pointer in Missouri. Remember me showing you pictures of my uncle's buck that he killed in yep. Missouri? That's yep. a that's that's like a gross 170 inch eight pointer. That's it's just enormous. And this this deer was that size. Yeah, like he was just monstrous. I mean, people get a uh, you know wrapped around the axles or whatever about score and whatnot. But I mean, heck, you could have a 180 inch buck that's only wide as his ears, but he's got 30 points or whatever. Yep. This thing was, I mean, just everything about enormous that you could possibly think of. There's only so many bucks that you remember that you can literally him from five, six hundred yards away, and you don't even have to pull up your your binoculars. You just can see them, and you can tell, like, that thing is freaky just because of the frame of his rack. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we saw those, those bucks, and kind of a key little tip or takeaway i think from these hunts that really helped me anyway uh from getting discouraged in the rut it was really warm when we were hunting mm-hmm. that spot like the uh i think the the following day when we got out there it was like 60 degrees or in the high 50s maybe yeah. windy yeah. and I remember right after we killed, we were under a tornado warning. Because <laughs> we went to town to get beers and yep. hang out. And uh, 
didn't we have to go into the basement? I think we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I mean, getting too far ahead. Dude, no, I mean, yeah, the basement. We went into the basement. Like, this is a hilarious thing, and this is this is a different different time of life completely, several several years ago now, but in the basement of that, of the bar that we went into, we went down there, <laughs> yeah. and we had we took our beers down there, and the owners were down there, and they were just like, well, like, we're going to have a cigarette. We may die today. And we just like, yeah. Like, I remember smoking a cigarette down in the basement. I mean, just totally stupid. But anyway, <laughs> side yeah, note. Yeah, up a little bit. So, I haven't um, done that in a while, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But we should back up a little bit. We're getting too far ahead here. Like, we found the spot the first day, saw a pile of deer, and then we concocted the idea that night, you and I, that, like, we're going to go in there and sit the same spot where we're decoy and hopefully see bucks chasing does across that field again and grunt one of them over. Mm-hmm. Well, we got in there and got set up the following morning, and the crazy thing about the rut is, like, it can be it can be action that's just wild, nonstop for a day, and then you can go in there and it can be totally dead. And I think we sat there that morning for, like, four hours mm-hmm. and didn't see a deer, if I remember right. No, nothing happened at all, and it was real stagnant weather, and it was – real like calm before the storm type weather because it got really nasty obviously later yeah but eventually you were like hey there's a there's a deer coming out of the crossing across the field but as you started coming across the field we realized like oh crap this thing's really big buck um and we eventually grunted him in and he came into the decoy zach filmed the hunt and i i shot him over a decoy at 20 yards or whatever and he fell over right there in the field it was just freaking amazing but that's the i that's kind of the hunt i've been thinking about here lately because we've got this warm front coming up and like warm fronts in early november i'm not a real big fan of but man once it gets around the seventh and eighth and on mm-hmm. i don't really think it matters all that much no I think they're going and they're doing it. We've had several instances over the years where it was lows in the uh, like 60, and we've killed bucks on those days. And we've killed bucks on days when it was, you know, nine degrees outside in the middle of November. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's just a different, you know, if you're talking about any other time, it's totally different. But we've had several examples where we killed uh, big ones when it was super warm. Yeah. Um, but once it gets to the middle of the rut, you know, I mean, before that, it's it's very hit or miss. But once you get to these dates that we got coming up here, the 7th through the 18th or 19th, it's just game on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like um, that time of the year, it's like they have no choice. I mean, and when the, the majority of the does are in heat, it's just like it's – usually going to be crazy in a lot a fair amount of places and it's just like you just got to be out there and you know that like i think that you and i have been talking about it for a long time now i mean ever since since that season i feel like we've talked more and more and just continued to solidify our theory on you know the first week in november can be great i mean even even in the last couple of days of october like you and i have both shot bucks in the last, I think on October 30th, I think you did in 16 and then I did in 18. So like those times of the year can be, can be phenomenal, but 
you know, that first week of November, it just seems like it's so hit or miss. Like that time of the year, that weather can affect it. Like when we were in Minnesota this past week, for the last entire week of being there, it was brutal. Like for compared to their average temperature that time of the year, it was way hotter than that. And like, you know, you just can't, you just can't will them to move when that's the case. But on November, like I always feel like somewhere around the 11th and seven, like I've had so many good hunts on like 11th, 12th, 17th, 18th, 19th, like all those days are just so, so good. And like, there's just going to be a lot of deer locked down with those. And I know it's, you know, it's not everybody's favorite thing to have a bunch of bucks locked down, but we sure like it. And yeah, it's just, they have no choice almost. Cause it's like, if the does are in heat, they gotta, they gotta do something and they're going to be fighting each other for it. So they're going to be moving. Yeah. For whatever reason, we were talking about that earlier here at the house. And we just, we haven't killed very many bucks the first, you know, four or five days in November. I mean, people always ask like, what's your favorite week to hunt? If you had to pick one week and I, I would way rather hunt the last week of October or, like the 8th through the 15th or the 10th through the 17th than I would the first six, seven days in November. Yeah. For whatever reason, that's just been my experience. And all of us out in the woods every year, Jake killed one in early November this year. Yep. You know, he found one that was with the doe and then got in there and got him. But he killed that. We were talking, we were just sitting around talking about it. It's like, man, I don't think we killed any of them on that day before. No. But to really get into that rutting rutting action where there's like a hot doe, like the scenario that we talked about earlier with the decoy buck, we just seem to get into those more in this in this next time frame as we get closer towards the middle of the rut. And a lot of people, like you said, don't like hunting that, but man, I, that we've killed way more during that time mm-hmm. on public land at least than we have early November. Yeah, and I think, I think some states you know, don't have as much of an opportunity to hunt that time frame. Even like I know where you grew up in Missouri and Jake grew up in uh, Wisconsin. Like a lot of times the gun seasons kind of start on those dates that are kind of within that week or so that we have a lot of good luck bow hunting. But on the other hand, like Ohio and Iowa, they got those longer bow seasons, um, you know, that, that kind of allow for, more action for bow hunters but with that being said too it's always it's always interesting for me to think of like you know even during a rifle season like there's like again to a certain point they gotta move but i'm sure that probably affects things to make it move a little bit more at night type type rut movement but you know regardless the thing that always was interesting to me i remember watching probably in when i was in college watching a uh, thing on growing deer with Grant Woods, and he was talking about like the average date. He was he had this tool or something, or I think I think MSU also talked about it at one point too. Those guys, but when we were talking to him this spring, but they have this like tool that they use to measure um, like the deer fetus, I believe, and they can tell yeah. like when it was the doe was bred from that, and like pretty much every time I've heard of that since, you know, it's like, it kind of peaks most of the country, definitely in the Midwest, like November 14th, like right in the middle of the month, 14th, 15th is usually the days right that I hear. Right in the middle of the month, every single year. So take f- five year. days before that and five days after it, you're probably going to have a pretty dang good chance of running into something crazy. 
Oh, yeah. You can certainly sit funnels and kill them um, and just wait for days and days and days on end and get into them. But if you're not on them and you're not seeing them, like they're elsewhere with a doe that's in heat. And they could always push one into your area, but every year, like you said, I mean, and we've been saying that now for three or four years, Mm -hmm. but every single year it keeps repeating itself over and over again. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck, and thanks for telling your story. Good talking to you. Yep, good luck. Let me know how it goes tomorrow. All right, man, we'll see you. See you. We got Hayden on the line now. Hayden, what's your best rut hunting story? All right, well... The first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is uh, a hunt I had in Iowa with one of my buddies back in 2019. Um, his name was C.J. Eldred. I met him playing baseball uh, in the summer of 2015, and we eventually became he eventually became one of my best friends, uh, and we hunted together quite a bit after that. Um, but in 2019, uh, I was hunting with him towards the end of October, and then. Beginning of November, on, on the 1st, his dad saw one of the bucks that they wanted to shoot. And a little disclosure, this is on private land, uh-huh. um, but it was it was fun to, to hunt with them on his property just to see the amount of, of big deer and just deer in general they had out there. But anyways, his, his dad saw uh, this buck the night before go up towards an area that they call Narnia, um, which is basically like the sanctuary of their property. It's something that they don't go into, but once or twice a year when it's right around that November time frame where they've got a good chance of, of killing a, a big buck. But we decided to go into Narnia the next day um, and weren't planning on sitting all day, but it ended up turning out where we had to be there all day. So we were there without snacks and water, like Jake and I hunting in Iowa the other week. But oh, yeah. um, Keith and I just had one got, of those recently as well. It's rough. Yeah, yeah. But you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we got set up in the tree before daylight and had some decent movement up until nine o'clock, nine thirty. Uh, and at nine thirty, we saw that that buck that his dad saw go up in that area the night before, and uh, he had a doe pinned down up in there. And um, from the time we saw him at at nine thirty uh, through the rest of the day, there there wasn't twenty minutes that went by that we didn't see him. He was just locked down on this doe in there, and it was just moving her around and kind of just keeping her in that area and a couple bucks came in and he ran them off and was just chasing bucks out of there just got to see this deer for hours just working this doe and just doing his thing but the whole time it's almost like he knew we were in the tree because like the whole time we were seeing him he was within within 100 yards Mm -hmm. but he he kind of almost went entirely around instead of 360 but never would get within 50 yards of our tree like it's almost as if he knew we were there but he didn't care enough to leave because that doe was there he wanted to be where that doe was Mm -hmm. and eventually he got downwind of us one time even and snorted once and ran off out of sight about 150 200 yards away where we lost sight of him but then eventually ended up coming back and still just stayed within that that outside of that 50 yard bubble and um just staying on that doe making sure she wasn't getting too far away from where he could he wanted her to be Mm -hmm. and i think throughout that time cj probably picked up his bow 12 to 15 times (laughs) just thinking it was gonna happen and he just ended up skirting just out of shooting range and i think it was around 5 30 
the doe ended up working right by us at 20 yards and sure enough he followed right by right behind followed right behind her and ended up making a perfect shot on him and he piled up 80 yards away from the shot but it was just crazy being that close to a big mature buck for that many hours while he's up and moving around but still never getting an opportunity until 5 30 in the afternoon mm-hmm. is and seeing like the number of bucks he just chased out of there it was really interesting to see how how he just guarded that doe and didn't leave even though it seems like he just knew we were in that tree that whole time and eventually got to the point where that doe came by and he couldn't resist he had to come by and follow her so. <laughs> yeah that's awesome man i i feel like that's it interesting story mostly because it's you believe that he knew you were there you know like that's probably the most interesting part of that because it just goes to show how ridiculous it can get when a buck has a doe that's i mean you know a lot of times you hear so much about the lockdown phase being this negative thing but when a buck's locked down with a doe now it's not always easy to find but when you do find it, if you're close to bedding areas or, you know, you're out in places where you can get a visual, I mean, to me, that's like, that's the most ideal situation to be in because he's going to let his guard down. He's going to become vulnerable and he's also just going to make really silly mental errors because he's so worried about that doe, even to the point where maybe he does know you're there and he, you know, still gives you an opportunity. Yeah, it's pretty pretty unique time of year. Like any other time of year, it's when he caught wind of us, like there's no chance we were going to see him the, the rest of the night. And <laughs> he was just still right there. He was not leaving that area no matter what happened. Yeah. Uh, I have a similar story from Ben that's almost identical other than the fact that um, I don't think that the buck knew he Ben was there. But my grandpa has uh, some really – property in some really bluffy country of Ohio and there's a bluff that has a little pinch point right off the side of it that basically bucks will cruise around this bluff because it's you know a natural funnel obviously there's a cliff there so you can't just like walk right down in one you know one direction they're completely blocked off they just don't go there deer will bed kind of close to that cliff sometimes and look down over but they'll either bed you know off to the side most of the time or below it, and then when they cruise around it, you know, they obviously get funneled down. Well, Ben was in a stand right there on that cliff, and it's a place that, like, I, I don't know if my dad shot one ever right there, but I do know that he missed a big one when I was a kid right in that exact, like, tree, you know, when, when we were young. Mm-hmm. But Ben had went in, hung a stand in there, and was hunting, and I don't know, I think it was late morning, and he was alone, self-filming, and I actually have this on YouTube somewhere. I think it's on my, like, my actual, my old YouTube channel. <laughs> but he, and this was 2015, so might have been the same. Did you say your story was 15? 19. 19. 15's when I met CJ, but I 19's got when this happened. So Ben's up in the stand. I don't know that he really saw um, much. I mean, maybe a couple younger cruising bucks that morning, and then I think that's all he saw. And all of a sudden he looked down below that cliff on that big bluff and there was a big mature buck down there with a doe. And he was watching that buck all day. The buck would do the same thing, run off small bucks, uh, stand around that doe, tend to that doe, get up, 
move around a little bit and lay back down. And throughout the day, I think at one point, he kind of disappeared, made a loop all the way around him, like a bigger loop than, you know, the funnel right around in range. Made it all the way back down to where they originally were. But basically, by doing that, they weren't able to wind him ever because Ben's scent was like sailing off that cliff. And they were always close enough to the cliff that it was just never getting to him. Well, he sat there all day watching that thing on and off all day. And he was texting me. I'll never forget I was hunting with Warb that day. And he was texting me all day saying, you know, I see him again. He's following that doe. You know, now he made a big loop around me. And at, you know, classic prime time, right at sunset or so, you know, maybe a few minutes after, the buck came straight up that trail right where he was set up on for them to funnel around that cliff. And he shot him at 15 yards, and he ran down the hill and crashed 50 yards <laughs> down. It's just like pretty much identical story where it's just like you see him you're you're you know you're in the game it's just a matter of time till he makes that that move and you just got to be patient and and you know wait until the opportunity comes or get down and be super aggressive because if there's ever a time to do it that's the time to do it is when they're got that though yeah it's pretty fun yeah that kind of confirms like both those stories ben and uh cj and myself were set up in a tree and just happened to be in the right spot for where that buck was with that doe, but it just kind of confirms how effective it can be during the lockdown phase to just cover a bunch of ground until you do find that scenario. Mm -hmm. And knowing, like, you can you can get pretty aggressive and there is a good chance that buck's going to keep doing what he's doing and be completely focused on that doe. Or, like, it's just really can be effective to just cover ground until you find, find that doe, that buck that has a doe locked down. Otherwise, you may just be in an area where they're not going to move very far out of that position where they have that doe pinned down. So, might as well move to find where that is. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, why for the most part, you know, stationary setup hunters that that only do that exclusively don't like lockdown phases because it is hard to guess where that is. You know, like, and you mm -hmm. can kind of feel when it's not going to happen. Like we've all been in the situation where we get in, you know, a rut. It's the rut time frame sometime, you know, in November generally. And you're sitting there and you're seeing, like, does with fawns and, you know, small, small bucks maybe just milling around. But there's a different feel about it when a buck has a doe close. You know, that's when, to me, you're seeing more bucks cruising. You're seeing, like, a high frequency of buck, you know, like, two- or three-year-old bucks moving around quickly and then – you're also just not seeing those does and fawns lingering around. And if you are, they're, they're usually farther away from where that doe is. And I, I think that there's just the, – the more that you hunt and set up scenarios, the more that you get a gauge for what that actually feels like. And it's kind of hard to explain, but I feel like at this point, if it's any time in November and I'm going to set up, there's just a point where it's like, this isn't it. We got to go, you know, and if you're ever feeling that, yep. take the risk. Cause what, what do you got to lose if you're not in the action, you know? Yep. But, but anyway, I mean, it's pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy story. Like to just hang with one all day and it, it's totally worth it when you do it and you didn't eat or drink water all day and you finally get him because there's a lot of days that that happens and you still don't get him. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So what's your game plan for tonight? 
Uh, I'm going to set up, there's this big long ridge that's like entirely bedding habitat, kind of in the middle of this property. So I'm going to try to observe that tonight. The, we've got an east wind, so I'm going to set up on the leeward side of that ridge. It's a bunch of like native grasses that are neck to head high with a bunch of scrub brush mixed in. Um, and it's an area I've thought about for a while while I've been hunting this, but I haven't really dedicated the time to it. And I found a lot of really big buck sign like in the drainages below that bedding area. So I'm going to try to just get up and observe that and maybe something will end up working by me, but I'm hoping to just get eyes on something and learn something for the next couple of days. Keith's coming down to meet me tonight and going to hunt with him around here for the next four days. So just trying to learn some more stuff. I got a couple of areas that I know there's a bunch of deer in, but um trying to, just, I, I feel like it, it's a spot where I feel like there can be a really big one in. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I can get eyes on one today. Awesome, man. Well, good luck and keep me posted and thanks for telling me your story. We'll do, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Hayden. All right. We got Jake on the line. Jake, what's your best rut hunting story? So it all started, I, we were just cruising around in the boat. We had been doing that quite a bit, I think, to that point where we were just starting to. Kind of the lockdown phase of the rut and uh it was late in the afternoon. I think we just got out late in the afternoon, didn't we? Yeah, we maybe were doing something else or or in a different area. And I think originally you took the boat um, up to a spot to check a trail camera. And while you checked the trail camera, I was sitting there looking back across the water and I saw deer headed to that field. Uh-huh. I think that's and how that kind of started. The last hour or so of, of dark or whatever. So we jetted across and we parked the boat you know where the where the deer couldn't see us and snuck our way up the bank and as we were getting up to the field we could just hear deer all around kind of and we got up there where we could start seeing them and a bunch of young bucks and does out on the field they were running does around and stuff and eventually we looked down on the bottom and there was a buck just standing down there I think he was by himself, wasn't he? We didn't really see the doe ever. Yeah, we couldn't tell if there was anything else there. He was just standing there kind of like a statue, and it was calm yeah, at that I'm point. Yeah, I'm guessing she was there when we just couldn't see her. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't really move anywhere the whole night. We tried grunting, rattling, rattling at him and stuff, and he didn't pay any attention to it. So we're, we're guessing he just had a doe locked down there, and then we went back in from a different access the next morning. We were just planning on getting the decoy out right where he was at there and we're sneaking in and we're using the headlamps and i think we was that buck bedded that yep. small one yep the first deer that we saw we like we're getting fairly close to where we wanted to be and yeah that first deer was a smaller buck that was bedded and we were like yep. all of a sudden right on top of him and uh he was just like, like eventually he realized that we were there, but he was just not wanting to leave. And just, we've seen it enough now where it's like when a deer's like that, I mean, granted it was a young buck, but even with the older bucks, if they're acting like that, like there's, you can assume that there's a doe around if they're just like blatantly seeing you and smelling something weird and they're not leaving, like mm-hmm. just start moving a little slower, I'd say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we, I mean, we we were trying to get to a certain spot by a certain time, so we eventually just kind of pushed him off, and he reluctantly left, and <clears throat> we didn't get too much further. And then we could see more eyes up in the timber, 
and those looked like they were real wide apart and like orange eyed just looked like it was probably a, a big buck but we we couldn't we couldn't ever confirm that because we couldn't see antlers but it it seemed like it probably was and then we moved up a little further and we started hearing grunting and chasing around and stuff like that and just over the there's a little terrain in the way and we're right out by the edge of the lake and we got i got the decoy i don't think i had assembled it yet Mm-mm. but but uh we're just sitting there listening and this one you know it sounds like it might be something a little bigger so we're just trying not to spook it and we we're real close to where we wanted to get to anyway and uh I think eventually we got eyes on him, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just walking he, he around. Heard, he heard he heard us, I think, coming up the bank, and he just thought we were another buck coming up there. And it, was, it ended up being the same buck from the night before in the same exact spot, and he had a doe there. And I think when he heard us, he just thought we were another buck coming up there to try to steal her. And he he came up probably ten or fifteen yards from oh, us, yeah. like you know, kind of kind of postured up, and he never saw us. We were just sitting there not moving we had but we had just had the headlights blaring or headlamps blaring and we got to watch him for i don't know 40 probably 30 or 40 minutes wouldn't you say zach yeah and he was just walking in circles and grunting and he'd take off running and just you'd hear you know he'd chase off a buck and it was just like pretty crazy when i started trying to put the decoy back or you know assemble it because it was starting to get light we're just like well we're we don't want to get any further from him, but we can't get any closer to him or we don't want to until it's legal light. So I started trying to put the decoy together because we figured it, you know, if he's just hearing us and getting that fired up, if he, if we make some noise by first light and get a decoy out there on the edge of the lake where he's for sure going to see it, I'd imagine he'll just come right into it, run off. And I started trying to put it together and he came back again. <laughs> he's just like coming up real close to us, grunting and he snort wheezed a couple, didn't he snort wheeze oh, once yeah. or twice? Oh yeah. And, uh, I think that little buck and it sounded like maybe the buck that we saw up in the timber were both over there. You know, there's just a, we could only ever see the one for sure, but it just sounded like there were several over there that they're, he was trying to keep away. And so I, we get the decoy put together and I get it snuck out there by the edge of the lake and it's getting to be where it's like, I'm looking at my phone, you know, that I'm just going to make deer noise as soon as it opens, you know, cause he's right there and um gets to be where i'm about to start calling i just watched the the time flip over to opener and all of a sudden the deer starts blowing and uh i think it was maybe i i don't know which deer it was not like there's four or five of them over there but mm-hmm. anyway it's like you can tell that it's taken off and then we look behind us and there's a duck hunter coming up the bank of the of the lake and he just kind of pushed him off into the timber and just it was pretty discouraging because we had been hunting hunting for uh, yeah. a long time at that point, and it just seemed like one of those deals where as long as I don't mess up the shot, we're probably going to get an opportunity here. Yeah, well, and I think it was like it, it was a totally unique situation too because we were so close to the the water that our scent was blowing into the water, which is why we planned to access it that way that morning. But he was never able to get downwind of us it was just not going that far down because there's there's nowhere for him to go but right on the water's edge there we were able to be about as silent as you possibly could be had we had grass where we were he would have totally heard us you know the 40 minutes or whatever before daylight then we first got there he would have totally heard us and you know came up to us but we were able to just stay just quiet enough that he never actually got downwind and then as far as like the way we set it up 
we put the decoy off offset from us, but behind us, right up against the water. That way, when he got an angle on us, he'd be able to see it silhouetted against the water easily. And our hope was, is and I, and I think we both still to this day would say it would pretty much was going to work. But <laughs> I've never been like, this is going to work more in my life. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, it was <laughs> just, you're, you're just so revved up. Yeah. And like the way that we had, had the decoy behind us and kind of angled off to the side of us. And we were kind of, uh, maybe, maybe like more in line with him and we were kind of offset, but the decoy was kind of like off of our left shoulder. It was like, he's going to see this, be focused on that. And we were just barely hiding behind some grass. And I think it was, it's one of those situations where had, we not had the decoy. I don't necessarily know that that that, that setup was going to work, but with his eyes on that, we I think we were just like, well, it's a done deal. All we got to do is make that grunt or you know maybe grunt and move the grass a little bit, and he's going to come over here, see that decoy, and then yeah. lock on it. Yeah. And the reason that he had that doe there, like you were talking about our wind blowing across the mm-hmm. lake, it seems like just a typical, the most common lockdown spot that we find is where they can get by water or some weird spot like up by a house or you know where deer aren't going to get downwind of them and he just had her pushed up against the edge of that lake and he I, he might have just kept her there all night it seemed like you know yeah. there's they were in a little clover spot and there were several beds there and he's probably just i mean those bucks will just kind of force those does to stay where they want them where they know that they're not going to be getting bothered by a ton of deer granted they can just kind of track them down but at least deer aren't going to be cruising you know couple hundred yards downwind of them in that spot and then all of a sudden coming up to them. I mean, they're pretty good at getting them in spots like that. But mm-hmm. anyway, they run off and then we just kind of slowly worked our way towards the direction that the whole herd of them went throughout the morning and it probably been a couple hours that had passed and we're starting to get into some new ground where we can see a little further and now we're not on the edge of the lake anymore either i think we had left the decoy back behind us and we're just kind of kind of still on our way you know the wind's right in our face move towards the direction that they went until we either don't have any room to work with or run into them and but now we're walking through the grass and i, I it was just i don't know <laughs> you you probably got a more realistic uh side of that story because <laughs> you weren't the one hunting. I, I've got a different emotional attachment to it. So maybe you can just take over. I just, I've been kind of messed up is what it ended up being. Well, I felt like, I felt like it was in, in that moment. I, I do remember thinking we were in the open because they had moved up into that timber, but we were in the open and, and we kind of were sticking out like a sore thumb and it felt like they were up in the timber where we couldn't see them, but they may be able to see out. So we got across that opening and we got to the edge of the timber and rather than hitting the first patch of cover, we kept moving past the first patch of cover and we were moving. Yeah, and that's stopping. what it was. You wanted to just hang out there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think I wanted to try to move up to the next cover. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got as I... caught in between cover. Yeah, and I think it was because I was kind of just moving fast down through there and those deer might've hurt us is kind of what it seemed like. Don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to say whether it was that or if it was just, pure luck but random but either way like because and and like i think generally we do a really good job pacing it the correct way to where we hear stuff and like we hit that cover we stop but like 
you said we had been hunting for a long time and it was just kind of getting, we were getting to where we were kind of chasing our tail in every situation, which is just, you know, we talked about it this summer in a podcast of the slump buster. It's like that exact time when you're hitting that, where you're getting frantic and you're getting all worked up about little things, you know, you're not making the right decisions out there. Yeah. And that's not, that wasn't our typical cadence that we did. And I remember passing that cover and thinking, Oh, I don't know. And then <laughs> like, we just got caught stuck in the wide open when it still almost worked. Yeah. And I, and my reason. So anyway, uh, as, as I'm just like kind of caught out in the open, all of a sudden we just hear deer running our direction real fast and hearing grunting you know so i i drew my bow as soon, i think i had an arrow knocked already i drew my bow as soon as we heard it doe comes running down right past us to like five yards and did she ever act like she saw us i can't remember um i think she just ran i know she stopped right on the edge and she looked back at him right away and then she took yeah. off and went broadside you know 15 yards away and it felt like it's like it still could work uh-huh but he comes just kind of barreling down through there. I still remember him like turning his head as he's going through stuff. And this is a different buck than the one from earlier. Now he's just like a wider, little bigger antlered version of the one we saw earlier. <laughs> and he's just like running straight at us right down the same trail that we're basically on right where that doe was obviously. And she had taken off at this point and, uh, he's coming at us and Ted had just like, it's hard to get deer to stop in those situations. It seems like when they're just mm-hmm. running like that, it, it, so I didn't, but I probably should have just tried and murping him, you know? Yep. And, but any, anyway, Ted had got one to stop by snort and just like a week or so before that. So I just went straight into the snort <laughs> and he just, he did not like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just, I mean, he, I, I almost got a shot at him. He just kind of bolted and bounded, you know, 10, 15 yards and he stopped for a second, but he's just right behind the tree. I, if he wasn't behind the tree, I think I probably could have hammered him, but he just he got away <laughs> that was like you know day whatever yeah, those yeah. double digit days of hunting just doing the same you know same routine of getting up early and being out there the whole day and uh we we just started walking back towards where the decoy was at and we we're just like let's just go back to the yeah. house and <laughs> I, I reset. I'll, I'll never forget like we just have this crazy moment where we're like we know there's a hot doe and multiple big bucks in there and you were just like let's just go home you're like, and I like, let's just go home and just be done for the day. Like that was it. That, like we're done yeah. now. Which had to do a reset. Yeah, and you oh. can listen to that. What what was the podcast called? Uh, I think it was something about the the slump. Let me see. I'll be able to find the number exactly. But yeah, it was just it was just a situation where we've talked about it a lot recently. Where you know you get to too caught up in hunting and going and going and going and going and you start making mental errors that that podcast is number 217 get yourself out of a hunting mm-hmm. slump but mm-hmm. you know it's just i think again just goes to show like when you've got that hot dough that's the right place to be and going back there to exactly where we last saw him it was as simple as that and it's been that situation yeah. a lot you know a lot of the best rut hunts we've ever had have just been once you see it, once you know what's going on, whether it's October 30th or it's November 30th, you know, it's like, if you see that hot dough and you see that action, just keep hunting it because they're going to be foolish and they're going to be there. Yeah. 
I mean, that one I killed the other day that we talked to a kid that lives right there. And he had, he had, he hadn't seen that buck the whole year. And then he saw him the day before. And then he was still in the same spot the next day. And, you know, he just showed up. My brother just killed one yesterday too. That we haven't had a buck behind my parents' house the whole year. That, really? Like the, of the size of one they shot. It was a nice two-year-old buck, but there had been a deer older than a year and a half back there the whole year. And all of a sudden he just shows up and he went right in there and killed him. So I guess that doesn't really have anything to do with the story, but just like, I don't know. They're just, they're on their move, the move right now. Obviously they're just maybe found that first doe or they know there's one in heat and they're going to be doing real dumb stuff. So mm-hmm. yep. be out there and enjoy it. Absolutely. It ain't going to last too long. Absolutely. Yep. I'm as I sit here at home editing, it's like, Oh boy, you're doing the November same too. 7th, nobody in the field. <laughs> Everybody's uh, editing. Greatest day. The greatest day of the hunting season of all time. Just ask. Yep. Just ask anyone, dude. All right, Jacob. Anyone? Thank you. Yep. Good luck, Mike. See ya. All right. We got Ted on the line. Ted, what's your best rut hunting story? All right. So this, this story takes place, I think it was around like the 25th of October, maybe later in October. Mm-hmm. And Jake and I had been hunting together week and we weren't getting on many bucks. So he decided he was going to start trying to shoot the recurve and see if he could shoot a buck or shoot a, a doe around somewhere around home. And we were struggling doing that, even trying to just shoot a doe with that, you know, getting in lots of different setups, not getting on much, going out early in the morning and just struggling. So that this morning, in particular, we decided, all right, we're just going to sleep in and we'll just go for a drive and see if we can spot anything from the road. And we pull in to a public parking lot around and as soon as we pull in, jumps out and he's like, well, I got I to gotta take a, a Duke. <laughs> so he goes, <laughs> he goes around the front of the, of the car and I'm sitting there getting the camera stuff ready. And he's sitting in the front of the car, he's squatting, taking taking Duke, and I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, I turn around. This is at like 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I turn around, and coming across this alfalfa field is probably one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> coming right <laughs> coming right at us in this parking lot. And this thing's like, I don't know, 50 yards away. And so I see him, and about the time I see him, he's looking right at me, <laughs> looking at me in the car. And I'm standing there, and I, I start going, Jake. I'm like, Jake, big buck right here coming coming right at us. And, of course, he starts laughing. And I'm, no, I'm serious, big buck right here. So he's like, <laughs> the second time I say it, he realizes that I'm serious. And I can see him, and he's like, trying to lean up and look through the windshield of the car. (laughs) Eventually he sees this thing and he sees him and he's like, so we're both crouched watching this and he's just standing there looking at us. And it's just a stare down for probably five minutes. And eventually the buck just turns and just walks right into the woods, which is straight onto public. 
So Jake comes around in front of to the back of the car, and we're like, "Well, should I take the recurve?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know why you wouldn't." <laughs> and he had the compound. The compound and the recurve are sitting right right next to each other in the car. We take the recurve. We're which is which is the funny which is the funniest part like from from <laughs> the outside because it's just like you know at that point it's one of those deals where knowing what your guys's mentality was it was like yeah we're just gonna shoot this recurve and like try to get a doe and then <laughs> yeah. the fact that the fact that you said to him I don't see why you wouldn't is honestly probably one of the like funniest like and just like if it doesn't define like how just ridiculous it can be for us out here it's just like i don't know what else does it's just like like the odds of shooting him with that recurve were like so much lower than the compound it's unbelievable it's so well that's that's the funny part about the whole story is like at the end of it comes out well no we probably could have killed this thing if we would have just taken the compound (laughs) (laughs) but anyway we're so we're standing at the car, he grabs the recurve, and we start working down this access path, which is kind of parallel on where the buck went in. You know, the buck went into the woods like 50 yards from this access path, and we have no idea where he's going to end up or anything. I mean, we've been into this piece of public, and we kind of have an idea where they want to go to. So we're, you know, shuffling down this path, probably taking taking our time, you know, and we get down. And we get on a high point where we can see down into some of the bedding. And we're sitting there for probably 15 minutes. Nothing. He's not showing up or anything. And all of a sudden, this buck pops out. And it's a a really nice buck. And we were thinking it was him. So we glass. Well, turns out it's another big buck. (laughs) Real big 10-pointer. He pops out in the grass and works along the edge of the grass. This is probably... 150 yards from us mm-hmm. and they're working out he's working down the edge so we're just sitting there watching him and all of a sudden a big one pops out that we can see up on the field and they start going and they're like trotting down this edge so we take off running and we're running like right at these things <laughs> it's like kind of so we have enough cover to, to run at them and we find ourselves out in the middle of the lake bottom just no cover around us at this point and they work up on this ridge and they bed down and we at this point we're like on our sitting there watching them and when they bedded down they got up there and they turned around and laid down facing us mm-hmm. now we're in a, and these bucks you know they got the wind coming over the back and they're looking right down into the bottom where we're at. And at that point, the sun comes over the top and is just blaring down on us uh-huh. out in this bottom. So <laughs> we lay there and we're just sitting there talking about what we're going to do. And eventually, Jake's just like, well, let's just, let's just keep creeping our way at them and see if, how close we can get. So we're like skull dragging across this bottom nothing but pulling ourselves up with our hands and we get a big tree in between us and the bucks and jake's in front and you know we're just 
going real slow and these bucks have no idea that we're there and we get to probably <laughs> 50 yards of them and Jake stands up and he's got that tree in between us and bucks and he's creeping along creeping along and we get to I think we were within 30 yards of those bucks Jeez. and they're just laying there have no idea that we're there and Jake's like I'm just. I think I'm just gonna pop out around this tree and try and try and shoot this one. And this is at this point he's trying to shoot the other buck, the real big one. He's trying to shoot the other buck, which is well within compound range, but not quite within recurve range at uh, 30 yards. Yeah, right. <laughs> he pops around the tree, and we're thinking, all right, this might this might work. And as soon as he pops around the tree both of them get up and just take off running <laughs> completely away from us. And to this, to this day, I don't think we've seen that big one on public sense. No. I think we've seen it twice. I think we've seen him twice. And both times he was at least five miles from public land. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. And actually you guys, you guys saw him a couple times or multiple times for a couple of years after even, right? Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen him yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. But we, he's around. We well, he was around. Who knows if he's still alive or not now, but he definitely was around. It's it's and like for those listening, I mean, we're talking we're talking something that would just absolutely freak you out like a a solid well over yeah. 200 inch buck. <laughs> Oh God! I mean, it might be like two hundred and twenty-five inches. <laughs> Just a decent I mean, little the one. Biggest buck I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> we were we were committed to the recurve at that point. But that's that's the that's the funny. I mean, that's what's so fun about hunting with our group is like get something that kind of entertains you and then you just commit to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's just so funny too. Cause it's like most people, you know, I shouldn't say most people, but a, a lot of folks would probably be flustered at us for making that decision. But it's just also like, to be honest, it makes for almost a better story that that's what you guys did. You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous, but. Oh yeah. It's, it's that's like probably one of my favorite favorite hunting memories right there is just a couple of guys out there that have a great opportunity with the compound <laughs> take the recurve instead <laughs> <laughs> i remember when you guys tell you told me that story like ted and then ted goes well i don't see why you wouldn't i'll just never forget that that's so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh, hopefully we'll run into him again though at some point i mean we've seen him several times i don't know he might have died of old age yeah i mean honestly. honestly like he was at that point when you guys saw him i'd say there's no way he wasn't you know five six seven years old at that point and then you saw him for two more years so who even knows how old that buck actually was and like some of the some of the you know footage of him where he's with other deer is just freaky like he literally looks like he's four deer put together as one you know, like he could make oh, yeah. a, he'd make a three yeah, or four year old next to it. 
yeah, he'd make a three or four year old buck look like a fawn, you know, it's just crazy. Like how much bigger he was and everything else. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys his, took advantage of a great situation. Like a, just a quite cow. took advantage of a great situation. Just couldn't quite get it done. and you know honestly i think if we would just stayed behind that tree for a little bit longer and just like stayed somewhere where we could just sit there and watch them we probably had a lot better opportunity but we we just kind of rammed and jammed right in there and through (laughs) it it's funny though like when you when you look back on some of those situations because what that was in 19 or 18 that was 19 so 19 we're you know we hunted the rest of that season and 2020 season 21 season whatever experience we've gained this season and it's it's funny to look back just to 2019 and look at the little things that you would do differently especially because we just continue to get more experience ground hunting it's just like the that you know little adjustment that you feel like you could do differently you know looking back on it now in the heat of the moment then you know, the experience was, you know, it's just interesting to look back and see, you know, the things you would do differently, because I feel like there's a lot of things I look back on. I'm like, man, like, wow, you know, that little move didn't really make any sense. There's some that you make right, but then there's a lot of them you didn't make right. But, you know, just, you know, combining all those experiences eventually just helps you learn. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from just ground hunting with their in spot and stock or whatever is just time is the best thing to do as long as you've got time for it is get in as close as you can and then you just gotta just gotta wait mm-hmm. like even if that's way away from them and but you can see them if you just wait and be patient a lot of times you know they'll make the mistake or get themselves in a position, a better position for you to move in on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's, that's a big thing that I've learned is just get in as close as you can, whatever makes sense and just be patient. Yeah. The, the thing that I, the thing that I, um, like doing to uh, like kind of on the other end of that and every situation is different because I agree you're, you're totally right in a lot of situations the one situation where it's different is if you've got him in an exact spot and you know that you can shoot him right when he gets up it's like when you hit that certain mm-hmm. point where you're like 50 60 yards away where you're still not to where you want to be able to you know get a chip shot on him if you're going to commit or like if you got the time like let's say like in the Nebraska buck I shot with uh, Logan Wright in 2018 was exactly this situation. I hit a point where I was like probably 40, 50 yards from him. And I just committed myself to like, there's no time. Like, and there's no time rush. I can't, I can't rush this because if I start rushing it, I'm not going to be able to get there. I'm going to make too much noise. So it was like, it was unbelievably slow to the point that you'd almost consider it pain. It's mentally draining and it's like painful because you're just like waiting, waiting, waiting. A little gust of wind, you move your bow forward a couple inches. Then you wait, 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 wait. Wind blows, move forward with the rest of your body. And it's just like when you're doing that, like that's if you have the opportunity to get really tight to him and you know that you can get a shot at him as soon as you stand up, 
you know, in that situation, it's like, you have to just turn your mind off to time, you know, which is similar to getting in into, you know, as close as you possibly can and sitting there and waiting. It's the same deal. You got to just like try so hard to stay focused. And honestly, for me at times, it's easy for my mind to start drifting. Even when there's a shooter buck around, it's like sometimes hard to, hard to, uh, stay focused in that moment. Oh yeah, for sure. And I feel like, I feel like one of the things that we've been able to do the last couple of years that has helped us a lot is being able to hunt pronghorn yep. and just going on stock after stock. And I mean, you just, the opportunities are endless out there because <laughs> you can see them all the time mm-hmm. and just, you know, practice, practice every time out, yeah. which is a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, there's a, a lot of things that we could have done differently there, but it was also, it's also one of the things that, that I can think of from <laughs> the past few years. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Cool, man. All right. Well, I'm going to call, I'm going to call somebody else next and thanks for your story, Ted. Sounds good. I think I'm going to go help Keith find his arrow. Cause it looks like he's back there looking for one that he must've launched over these targets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good confidence boost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he's, he's got her dialed in. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. See ya. All right. We got Greg on the line. Greg, what's your best and craziest rut hunting story? So, yeah, as far as crazy rut hunts go, in most recent memory, the one that sticks out the most is one that I had with Aaron. It would have been in 2018. And this was a mid-November hunt. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that day we didn't see – a ton of deer, but the deer that we did see, it was a really interesting encounter. And, and the, the, the way the morning started out, it was kind of like one of those days, like, oh man, what's, what's going to happen? Cause I had this bright idea of crossing a river to get into this area where we've had some really good hunts in the past. It's kind of a travel corridor and uh, it's a spot where Aaron had an encounter. I think the previous year where he was climbing up a tree and a big 10 pointer is cruising by in this narrow little pinpoint along this river bottom. So it was a spot that was kind of in the back of my mind because it would be tough to get to. It was tough to access from any walking path. It was a long ways back. You have to be going through a bunch of, uh, you know, thick cover where there would be deer. And it just, it wasn't practical from that point. But that year, 2018, the, uh, we had a lot of precipitation, a lot of rain throughout the summer and early part of the fall. So this river was up a lot higher than it had been. In fact, the previous year that Aaron hunted it, he was crossing it in, you know, knee-high boots. Mm-hmm. So it was no big deal. So now this, this river is running pretty fast, and I had the bright idea of pulling a couple kayaks in there. I did this the day before the hunt. I pulled kayaks all the way back in to this river so when we were ready to hunt it, we could – or excuse me, I pulled one in. And the thought was the first person would go across with the kayak, and you'd have a long rope trailing. And then the other person would pull the kayak back across, and then they would go you know, across to the other side. So that, we were basically ferrying across. Well, we got in, Warb and I got in there early that morning and uh, got in the kayak to go across to hunt this pinch point where I thought, you know, for sure nobody's been back in here hunting it. Nobody's crazy enough to try to cross this river like it's fresh. Your bucks are getting cruising. It's about that you know, about the right time. And I get in the kayak and start to go across, and I miscalculated how fast the water was moving. And I'm quickly starting, and I, I also had to the amount of rope that we needed 
for Aaron to be able to pull a kayak back across. So when I get out there, all of a sudden, you know, the, the current is pushing me down. It's everything I do can do to get the paddle to the other side. So anyways, it's like one of those deals where I got way more than I'd bargained for. Like it was everything I could do to get to the other side and get actually get out of the kayak without it drifting away. Aaron, Aaron pulled it back over and he was able to get to the other side and it was one of those deals where like once once we were done and on the other side I was like man that is way more than i bargained for <laughs> and that, now it is well after legal shooting time and uh wasn't there something things, I, wasn't there something too with the drag of the rope what wasn't that the drag, that was another thing i didn't anticipate was the, the drag of 100 feet of rope in the water <laughs> that that also pulling me back so i mean it's just it was comical i wish we i wish there was more footage there to show how I was and just like how panicked I was when I, you know, it was like I said, everything I had in my power to keep myself, to get myself to the other bank and then just to actually be able to get out of the kayak and, uh, and without my gear falling in or without mm-hmm. dunking, like it was just crazy. It was like I said, way more than I bargained for. And, so we're, and you had Aaron who's like a cat in the water. Like he's always just like, so, so, super paranoid and it's just funny yeah. too. it's honestly so hilarious to imagine like if you were nervous in that situation thinking of what oh, yeah. he was thinking in that situation right <laughs> yeah. even, i'm surprised he even pulled a kayak back across and went went himself like <laughs> i just say i'll film you from this side of the river yeah no kidding so anyways that that was the start of the morning and you know we we got finally got settled up in the tree and it's like sitting there the whole time thinking man we got to do this all over again to get back to the other side but uh so during the hunt the hunt was really slow we didn't see any deer at all um so about you know mid mid morning 9 30 something like that it's like well we got to go back across we might as well you know get down and get this over with but in the daylight i will say it wasn't um quite as bad as as doing it in the dark for the first time kind of knew what to expect um, had a little bit better idea of what we were doing going back across. So that, that, that wasn't that big of a deal. We kind of got, you know, got back across, laughed it off. It was a slow morning hunt. Didn't see anything. It's like just one of those days of like just ready to be done. Aaron was heading back. Free. You know, it's just one of those deals where it was like, let's put that one behind us. Yeah. And as, as we're walking out, uh, this access path, um, back to the vehicle, we got about halfway back and there's a patch, kind of a thick patch of cedars and some, uh, cottonwood, young cottonwoods, uh, native grass, like just real, you know, real good bedding habitat. As we're walking out, you know, just kind of, again, putting the hunt behind us, like we were done, like we were done for the day. And all of a sudden Aaron spots a buck off to our left, uh, about mm, probably 75, 80 yards away, uh, in that thick cover. He just kind of saw him, standing there looking around and we just we hit the deck real quick it's like big buck right there so we got down and uh the buck undoubtedly would have seen us or at least we felt like he saw us but we didn't hear him run out of there we didn't see him run out of there and as we got thinking about it, it's like all right he you know he's standing in one spot kind of knew we were there or felt like he should have known we were there but he didn't run so it's like he probably has a doe pinned down in that cover so we made a made a plan to loop around, get the wind in our favor. And this patch of cover was, uh, let's see, maybe five acres in size, something like that. So we looped around to the far side of it, kind of got our wits about us, came up with a plan to move in with the wind in our face, 
and stalk in where we had seen this buck standing there. So as we worked our way in, we got within about 125 yards. We figured I dropped the pin on on X where the buck was at because that because as we moved around this patch of cover, everything starts to look different as your perspective changes. And so we we had marked where he was at and then moved in, got to about 125 yards and did a calling sequence, uh, grunted, snort wheezed, uh, raked some brush, rattled, and uh, waited about five minutes and no response. So we figured, and also it was fairly breezy that day too. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I, I misspoke. We didn't have rattling antlers with us. So I just took a branch and was raking, you know, other trees. Mm-hmm. Mimic the sound of a buck making a rub. So, I, you know, the, the thought was, was try to, obviously try to get in close enough and, uh, and not spook him. So we didn't know if he was moving around in there. We, you know, we lost track of him as soon as our position, but we did a calling sequence to try to pull him out. Nothing came of it. So we just moved in about 30, 40 yards closer. So now we figure within about 75 yards of where he dropped that pin on the map, called again, did the same exact sequence. And then almost immediately, we could hear a buck grunt and we could hear raking and we could tell he was coming out to us. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah. So it was like one of those deals where after the first sequence, we weren't sure if he was still there, like enough time had passed, you know, maybe he pushed the doe out of there. We thought maybe our calling sequence, maybe he just pushed the doe out of there. But the, on the second one, as we pushed in closer, we knew that he just didn't hear us on the first one. So the second one, we pushed in closer, did the sequence. And now all of a sudden here he's, he's coming out and uh, got to within about probably 40 yards, 45 yards, something like that. We could see him through the thick cover, uh, came out, kind of stood there for a little bit, and then turned around and went back in. Mm-hmm. So we knew he was in the mood to respond. He just didn't come out far enough, so we knew we needed to get in closer, be more aggressive, and uh, and you know try to get eyes on him. I mean, the cover was so thick that, you know, we knew we were going to have to be close to be able to one to see him and two to be able to shoot. So our, on our third attempt, we worked in and kind of worked to the side of them still had the wind, you know, pretty well in our face or at least quartering towards us. So, you know, we were confident and moving in closer and uh, did a little bit. Now we were thin. We felt about 40 yards or closer up to where he had that doe pinned down. We did a third calling sequence and almost immediately he came out again, this time with the doe. He was kind of pushing the doe towards us at first and he was starting to walk out like it was, I was going to, I was going to get my shot. It was going to be a slam dunk shot at about 15 yards. And just, just before he got in the open, kind of turned the doe away and then went away. Mm-hmm. And that's the last, that's the last we saw of him. How how close did he end up getting? He was he was probably twenty five yards, or did you already say that? Yeah, well, probably fifteen to fifteen to twenty on that one. That oh, I think dang. that was about the closest he got right there. But there was, and I pull up the footage and look at it. I mean, it was one of those deals where, like, he was he was angling towards us, like this is about ready to happen. Like I, I put tension on the string. You can see in the footage, I'm just about ready to start to pull back. And then all of a sudden he cuts back real quick mm. and starts to push the doe away. Dang. That's and crazy. then from there, he kind of disappeared on us. And uh, we pushed in a little bit closer, didn't see him, um, tried some more calling. And it was just kind of like they disappeared into thin air. Like mm. it just worked on. So 
so then we pushed in a little bit farther and you know this i'm trying to tell the story as quickly as possible but this is all taking place over the course of about three hours total Mm -hmm. from the time we spotted him moved around moved in on him called these different times had him respond a couple different times come in come in closer thought i was going to get a shot then he left and then uh, we pushed in even farther towards the direction where we thought that maybe he would have that he pushed the doe out uh, last we saw and uh I think we stood there for, you might've even called again, stood there for a bit. And it was one of those deals where like, we thought it was over. Like we, we just didn't see him. Nothing was responding. And then all of a sudden here comes the doe trotting towards us. Buck. Oh, I think he pushed her out farther. And then, you know, over the course of probably 30 minutes, you know, she started to drift back our way mm-hmm. and he was right. And at that point she was bringing him within range and this, you know, played out over the course of another half hour, probably as she came in and bedded down close by us. And he was kind of working back and forth because now there's other bucks that have caught on to the fact that he's got this hot dough in there. So he would run off to push other bucks off and then come back. And then, you know, during the course of this, he, he got with, he was within range several times and I drew back on him three different times. And every time there was just so much brush in the way, like it was, you know, the, it was, it wasn't just grass. It was like stems, thick, almost woody, not not woody vegetation, but just really high density grass, thick diameter grass. And it, it was stuff that was over his back. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't willing to try to shoot an arrow through that and just hope that it got to him. I mean, undoubtedly the arrow would have deflected and who knows where I would have hit him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah he, that stuff's but, like, that stuff's like real, it was real stemmy. It's like something in between grass and like a stick. It's like, kind of yeah it's kind of like a yeah i don't know it's 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 a stem of some sort but yeah i know i i know exactly what you're talking about and it i mean it's just one of those situations where it's it's like right on the verge of it and maybe maybe if you're like super lucky you can he stops in like a perfect little spot where you can find a little seam in there but it's just there's so many of them that it's hard to hard to make that happen Yeah, and it wasn't like it was just in front of him. It was almost all the way from me to him. Mm-hmm. So it was there just wasn't any ethical way to try to, to get an arrow through there. However, I mean, the doe was bedded 25 yards away from us, and where she was at, she was in relatively open ground. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if just come all the way to where she was at, he would have, you know, been in a spot where I could have got a shot at him. But he was so busy, you know, running other bucks off and, and just kind of pacing back and forth. And, and he, I felt like he knew we were there at one point too. Like Aaron and I were huddled up next to a cedar. He looked over at us and is one of those deals where like under any other circumstance, he probably would have taken off, but that doe was better close by us still mm-hmm. to where it was close by, just not close enough that he got in the open to where I could shoot. But it was, I mean, it was, it was kind of a wild experience because it was such a roller coaster that day, really. You know, the, the crazy kayak ferrying across the, the river, you know, getting more than we bargained for there, and then having this three-hour encounter with this buck and, you know, working in on him and, and calling him out a couple different times and and then uh, coming to full draw three different times at least and, uh, you know, just having him just that close to being killed but just not, you know, not close enough. He just wouldn't get into a, an area where the, you know, the grass was thin enough that I could take an ethical shot at him. So it was... 
yeah, I mean, it didn't result in a in a filled tag, but it was uh, an exciting day, an exciting hunt. Absolutely. Is there and anything? Is there anything uh, that you look back curious, like having a lot of years to break that down now? I guess not a lot of years, but some years to break that down and think about it. I'm sure, I'm sure you have, and and we all kind of sit there and think of, you know, what what would you do differently? Is there anything that comes to mind that you think? like initially or down the road that you're like, man, you know, maybe if this was the situation or we could have done this or if we'd had this or whatever, is there anything that comes to mind? A couple things. One, possibly just being more aggressive and and just working in closer to him. Um, You know, the the cover was thick enough that, and and granted it was, it was, it was really dry. So it felt like as we were moving, we were making a lot of noise, but he's, it would be anticipating a lot of noise from another buck that would be moving through there. Mm-hmm. So I think we got away with maybe moving in a little bit closer, a little bit more aggressive and trying to get in and, and find him in a spot where maybe there was, you know, I could have got a, a better shot at him. So possibly being more aggressive, although, you know, we, it, it was real close the way it played out. You know, there was one time that he, again, where he was the closest, maybe 15 to 20 yards where it looked like he was going to step out as he was following the doe. Like it was just so close to happening right there. So, you know, maybe be more aggressive, but definitely the one thing that that would have been the game changer, I think would have been having like a heads up decoy, any kind of decoy. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. So why not, you know, why not always carry, you know, like a Montana decoy with you that you can just stuff in your pack. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you don't, anticipate having the need for a decoy but you never know when something like that happens when you just have to be you happen to be walking out of the woods you spot a buck that has a doe or something and just you know flashing a decoy or moving in with the decoy would make all the difference in the world like giving him giving him confirmation that a buck is there giving him something to focus on and be more likely to to pull him out of the cover into the open where he can get a shot yeah i think that would have that would have been the the difference maker on that hunt yeah i feel like that time of the year especially if you can get something that you can collapse down and easily fit into a pack it's it's a game changer and ironically as we talk about this i just spent a little bit of money today buying a few decoy options here for myself <laughs> so <laughs> yep, yep I, uh, sure. I think that this time of the year you can just get away with so much if you give them a visual i mean i know you love using decoys yeah. and I, I love the thrill of having one like that heads up or I just got a different one too that I'm going to try out that's the, um, I think it's like an ultimate predator or something. I think Ted might have had one of, eh, I think Ted's was a heads up too, but ultimate predator one goes on your bow and you put your arrow through it. And yep. Uh, yep. I just think that that might be a good option too for being super aggressive. And it's kind of fun to have them coming to you. I haven't, I haven't had... Um, one come to the decoy with the bow, but I also have had this tendency to shy away from it. I think personally, I just always think to myself like, oh, I'll just get there without it. And then there's times where, uh, especially in 2019, I had a little series of stalks there where I wish I would have used it looking back. Like there was one, I don't know if you remember the one or not, but there was a really big buck that had a, a doe pinned down to the river. He was just a... Yep real wide massive 10 pointer and grant and i went around the river and you know we were trying to get as close as we could but we had calm conditions and i think that you know as as a stalk hunter 
calm conditions can be good in some situations, but in this particular situation, we had real low grass, and that grass was making a ton of noise when we were moving. And I just feel like had I had a decoy on my bow, we could have just moved super aggressive. I mean, still have to be realistic with how much noise you're making. You can't sound completely unnatural, but I think in that exact hunt, as well as this one that you've told the story of, I think it would really make a huge difference. So just having that and having it in a pack too, it's not like it's that much to, I mean, heck, they don't even weigh, but a few ounces really. Yep. Yeah. Or just having that option gives you one more tool or tactic to work with that can make all the difference in the world, especially on a hunt like that. So that's, that's probably the one thing that I wished I would have definitely the one thing I wish I'd have had on that hunt was some kind of lightweight decoy. I think that would have resulted in a kill yeah. or at least a shot. Yeah. I'm looking to, I'm looking to at some point in my life kind of be afraid that one's actually going to kill me because it's <laughs> so close. I feel like that would just be so fun. You know, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it's, I don't think it would, I would necessarily want to do it on every single hunt. But I feel like doing it every once in a while certainly is fun because I do yep. like I do like stalking without it, and I think that's why in the past I've had this tendency to leave it, you know, leave it behind or never take it out of the pack. But with that being said, I do know that it would be super intense to have one, you know, closing 15 yards and in, like postured up. Yep. It would be like kind of scary, actually. <laughs> yep, yep, shooting in self-defense It'd make you feel alive. That's sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, I'm going to go take a walk here before it gets dark with Whitney. So thanks, yeah. for, thanks for telling me your story, and, yeah, we'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Good luck with those decoys. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Hopefully they get here before right. before the next hunt. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. See ya.